I would like to know in your life how many trophies you have accumulated. In your life so far, how many trophies do you have? I'm talking about the kind of trophies you get for participating in a sport, the kind of trophies you get when you win something. Shout out some numbers. Three, two, twelve? Two. How many numbers over here? Two. Three. Twenty? Over the course of my life, I received one trophy. One. And it was a trophy that I got in 1978 because I was on the Little League team that won the championship. I know some of you in the room are surprised to hear that because there was a season that you let me play on the softball team. So... Let me explain. <laughs> so on a team, in some sports, there's the people who are playing all the time, and then there are people that don't play so much. Um, they do a lot of sitting on the bench. And so as it turned out that year, that season, I happened to be a non-essential player. And so I spent a lot of time on the be- bench. Sometimes the coach would put me in right field, which among little kids learning baseball was a pretty safe bet that no ball would ever go to right field. And sometimes he would let me bat. And I think he, had, he let me bat only because the league rules were that if you were on the team, you had to go up to bat so often. There was a kid on the team, his name was Bill Overla, home run Bill. And Bill batted a lot. And Bill was shortstop between uh, second and third base which sees a lot of action. And Bill, when he would get up to bat, he would take several steps back so that he could get a good run with the swing of the bat because the ball went to Ohio. I lived in Indiana, and and the balls would go all the way to Ohio, and he would do the strut around the the bases. And sometimes it was exciting, you know, if I had been, um, I would get on base if, what's that thing when um, uh, they throw like four foul balls? You get to walk. I know Paul's cringing at my lack of baseball knowledge, <laughs> even now. So I, I would get to walk, and sometimes I would actually make a point for the team because I happened to be on base when Bill got to bat. So uh, the irony is that I have a box of childhood memorabilia. I've, my mom saved all my report cards and like you know notes from teachers. I know, how cute. And I don't have that trophy anymore. It's gone. Like I got rid of it years ago. I, you know, I didn't really have skin in the game. I was non-essential. And so I, 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 didn't eat, keep, I didn't keep it. The irony is that I f- used to feel the same way about church. Like there was a time in my life when I felt my interfacing with church, oh, I'm non-essential. You know, I can't teach. I can't be a missionary. I can't do all this stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm the other people, they're critical. But, you know, I'm like extra when it came to Teen Jesus or church, you know, and I thought of myself that way. And I know some of you have thought the same thing from time to time. Um, Over the past several hundred years, the church has kind of developed into essential players and non-essential players, right? So over the years, so essential players are people like, you know, maybe some pastors, some missionaries, some, you know, leaders, And then non-essential players is like kind of everybody else. 
And literally, like what we do right now, right? So a lot of, for a lot of churches, you come and sit in a room, and literally you sit in a seat, right? <laughs> and it's kind of like sitting on a bench, I mean, in a lot of ways. And so over the past several hundred years, church has kind of developed into this. Um, the clergy do, the laity receive. There's serious Christians and then regular Christians. I always like it when somebody tries to tell me they're like a regular Christian, and I'm like, well, what is that? You know, does that like... You know, 50% of Jesus' commands, you know, is it 20%? Like, what's the threshold for regular, you know? I know what regular gasoline is, but, you know, like... So, um, the church didn't start out that way. It really didn't. It was different. So, today, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, and your relationship with God is right, and you're following Jesus, I want to suggest something to you. God wants to use you to change the world around you. He does. And you don't have to be perfect and you don't even have to have all your junk worked out for God to do it. You don't. And I'm going to make a case for that in just a minute. But, but God's desire to, to roll this way, it's an old desire. It goes way, way back. It, it predates Jesus, and it predates Moses. God working this way. God working through imperfect people to, like, bless others. And so if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, and that's where we're going to be today for the lion's share. Genesis chapter 12, it's in my Bible, it's called the call of Abram. You always have to say it in a deep, booming voice, okay? So, in my opinion. So, okay, so Genesis chapter 12. There was this guy named Abram. Guy doing his own thing. God shows up and makes a promise to him. And this promise is key to understanding the Bible as a whole. And it's key to understanding the Christian mission. I know, and it's tucked away in Genesis 12 of all places. It's really weird and awesome. So we're going to get into it. So Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first three verses. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Doesn't this sound awesome already? And you will be a blessing to others. What? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Isn't that fascinating? Okay, so first of all, the Lord. And it's in all capital letters. This isn't just any tribal deity like Shamash or Ra or what the Assyrians had. Who is this Lord who's speaking to Abram? Well, the first 11 chapters of Genesis tell us who that Lord is. He's the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He made the universe. He's the Lord who made people, men and women, to be like him in a way that no other creature is. He's the one true God. And so Genesis 1 through 11 is kind of establishing this. So the one true God shows up and makes a promise to Abram. Not just the God of Abraham, not just the God of the Israelites, not just the God of Christians, but the God of everyone and everything. I'm going to make a promise to you. Is it because Abraham was better or Abram was better than everyone else? No. God wasn't sitting around going, hey, I like that one right there. I'm going to I'm going to put money on this Abram guy. Everybody gather around. Okay, it's Abram now. Woo! Everyone else sucks. You know, God, God did not roll that way, okay? So God, God 
chose Abram, chose this man who was imperfect, who was flawed, and chose that through him it would spill over and bless other people, other families, other tribes, until every nation on earth would have a blessing because of what God was going to do in and through that one man in that one moment. Okay? God's promise to Abram has several parts. The first part is, is a, a posterity. If you're familiar with the movie The Princess Bride, you know that there's this moment when Wesley's being tortured, and his torturer has you know, given him, <clears throat> taken a year out of his life, and the torturer says to him, tell me how you feel, and be honest, as this is for posterity. Posterity is what comes after, okay? So part of the promise to Abram here is that Abram's going to have a ton of kids, grandkids, great-great-great-grandkids. And the promise to him at this moment is like almost unbelievable because he's old, okay? And so part of the promise is descendants, people that will come after him. And God changes his name from Abram, which means father, to Abraham, which means father of multitude. The second part of the promise involves land. We know that Abraham's great-great-great-great-great-grandkids get this parcel of land in the Middle East, what is now modern-day Israel and Palestine. And land is part of this blessing. But the key part is the third part of the blessing. This idea that God will be their God and they will be his people. And God spells it out a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 17. And I want you to hear these couple of verses, and they'll put it on the big screen. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you. From generation to generation, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you live now as a foreigner to you and your descendants, and it will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. So this blessing that God is giving Abraham as a blessing of, I will be your God, you will be my people. It's a blessing of covenant relationship. And God wants to have this covenant relationship with everybody. Some people, let's be honest, there are people that opt out. Lots of different reasons they do, but they opt out. God wants so badly to bless all the peoples, and he's going to do it through unlikely, unlikely vessels. And one of them is Abram. So if you're familiar with the story of Abram, if you're, if you're not, I encourage you today to just read from Genesis 12 a few chapters and read it through the lens of how you relate to people today and your parents and family systems. Abram's got a problem with honesty. He's got a problem with how he relates to women. He's got some junk that he needs to work on. And the irony is he passes on some of that dysfunctionality to his own son who turns around and does the same thing to his wife that Abraham did to, to his own. I mean, it's weird how it plays out. And yet that's the guy through whom God's going to bless all the peoples of the earth. Okay? So the earliest Christians believed that they were d true descendants, true children of Abraham. They, they saw themselves that way. Paul, in Romans 4, he says this. And they'll put it up on the big screen. Romans 4, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous, even before he was circumcised. 
So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They're counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Paul is saying, look, just because you're a Jew doesn't make you a descendant of Abraham. Just because you're circumcised doesn't make you a descendant of Abraham. What makes you a descendant of Abraham is having the faith that Abraham had. That makes you a spiritual descendant of his, through whom God wants to bless people around you, the world around you, people in Alaska, people in Turkey. Paul believed that Paul and the early Christians believed that they were experiencing a realization of this Genesis 12 promise in a way that was, you know, imbued with God's spirit. And everywhere they went, in towns and cities, they were taking this blessing of God, this, you know, God has now made a new way to be made right with him through what Jesus Christ has done. And we've got good news. And so they went from town to town announcing this good news and announcing that you could get in on this blessing with God part, okay? I think along the way, the Jews forgot the second part of the blessing. If you could put those passages from Genesis 12 back up on the screen, that would be awesome. I will make you into great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Here's the second part. And you will be a blessing to others. The Jews got to a point where they were like, oh yeah, we are so God's people. Mm, we are in like Flynn. Uh, you are goyim and you are not in. I'm telling you. Church did the same thing. After a while, it was like, mm, us Presbyterians, we got it going. Everyone else, oh, not so good. You know, and we developed this attitude of we're blessed, we're in with God, and we forgot the so that part. We forgot the responsibility part. We forgot that God actually is blessing us so that that blessing can go to others. It's the weirdest thing how that plays out. Let, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God really wants to bless all the peoples of the earth? I mean, do you believe he wants to bless your parents? What about your in-laws? You know, they've got some stuff they need to work on. Come on, right? Do you, at West Jesuit Middle School, does God just want to bless the upstairs or, or also the downstairs? <laughs> okay? Does God want to bless people in Alaska? In Turkey? Yes, okay? He wants to use you to bless other people. God cannot afford to have a lot of us kind of sitting on the bench when it comes to his kingdom and his blessing. God needs people involved. God wants people involved in extending this blessing to other people. Jesus put it this way in the Gospel of Luke, and they'll put the passage up. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Jesus said this. He was sending out his disciples, you know, to go do this thing. And he says, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. That's you and me. So his instructions were the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send Max Vanderpool into his fields. Ask him to send Chris Cool into his fields. Ask him to send Charlotte Lacey into his fields. Ask him to send Kate Hull into his fields. Ask him to send Lynn Brown into his fields. 
That's what God is saying in this passage. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. So here's kind of where this hits the road for you and me. For some of you, I want you to consider becoming a missionary today. I want you to consider becoming a missionary. You don't have to go to Alaska. You don't have to go to Turkey to do this. You can be commissioned. You can be a missionary right where you are, like Abraham, like Paul, and you can just be that blessing and bless others around you as God is working in and through you. Come on. You know, right? You, chances are you know a mom right now and she's had another baby and she's really discouraged and her relationship with her husband's not going great and she's been away from God and church forever and a day and she doesn't have a whole lot of hope in her life. You know a guy right now who doesn't have anything to do with God because, and you've heard snippets, he's told stories, dad was... Uh, harsh, dad was strict, dad made us go to church, dad was a hypocrite. And he's concluded, I'm not going to have anything to do with that Kool-Aid that dad drunk because it's not for me. And you can see so clearly, oh man, if you could only see God for who he is, if you could only see Jesus for who he is. Okay? So you know people like this. God wants to use you to reach them. He does. Um, and all you have to be is fat. I know, it's kind of weird, isn't it? You're like, what? My preacher just told me I need to be fat. It's an acronym. It's an acronym. F-A-T. F-A-T, fat. Some of you are going to go out today, and on Monday, you're going to be saying, you know, when my pastor told us on Sunday, he told us we needed to be fat. I, you know, okay? Faithful, available, teachable. Faithful. One aspect of faithfulness is just showing up. Showing up. Showing up for people when they have a need. Showing up when the community of faith is gathered. Showing up. Um, I like the way somebody in our church family calls it. He calls it the ministry of showing up. (laughs) And that's real and true. Faithful. Available. The other part is availability. If, If there's no God conversations in your life, if there's no redemptive relationships, if, if there's no aspect of that, just stop asking God to bless you in a sense right now, right? Because his blessing isn't supposed to just fill and stop. His blessing is to fill and overflow and impact and bless other people. That's what God wants to do, okay? So faithful, available, and teachable. The last thing is teachable. Um, Abram had to get over himself. But I'm really old. There's no way we can have kids. Ah! He had mindsets about what could happen and not happen and how God could work and not work. And he had to change. He had to grow. He had to be teachable. Listen, I'm only like, I'm not even 50 years yet. And I, there's so much I've learned. And there's so much I have to learn. <laughs> okay? Teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. If, you, if you'll be those three things, you'll be surprised what God can do in and through you. You really will. And in a minute, for those of you that want to be missionaries, when I pray for Charlotte, I'm going to ask you to stand with her. And we're going to commission, I'm going to commission you today to go be missionaries here. Okay? Now, for some of you today, your relationship with God is a little fuzzy. Let's be honest. You would say, if you and I were having coffee, you would say, well, Max, it's complicated. I get that. I know it's complicated. You've been coming to generations. You like, you like me at some level. You like Jesus at some level. I get all of that. I do. But today, I would like you to consider committing to following Jesus. Just today, go, you know what? On July 19th, I will begin following Jesus. And this whole relationship with God part, 
I'm not going to worry it anymore. And I'm going to trust that what Jesus did is enough. And I'm going to let it rest. You'd be surprised. God wants to use you as well to reach other people if you'll just commit. So, Charlotte, would you come up here for a minute? I'm going to pray for Charlotte. And right now, right where you are, if you're willing to be a missionary in your sphere, I want you to stand up because I want to pray for you too. And don't let peer pressure, if you're just not ready, don't worry about it. But if you're ready, I want to pray for you, all right? Here we go. God, I want to thank you that you use ordinary people, imperfect people, flawed people. Charlotte does not yet have her act together. I don't yet have my act together. These people standing right now, we are not perfect. We confess we lack. But we believe that if you can use a man 4,000, however many years ago, to bless the nations, you can use us to change the world around us. God, I commission Charlotte Lacey, we as a community of faith commission her and we let go of her and we put her in your hands and we trust that you're going to use her, you're going to speak to her and that six months from now she'll have some clarity if missions and a mission life is part of your calling for her. And we're, trust, we're trusting that you will speak clearly. Father, for those standing, I ask that you would give all of us eyes to see the people around us that you want to bless and that you would help us to just be fat, faithful, available, and teachable. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be fat. And God, I pray and I commission these people today. Send them out. This world's got a ton of hurt. This world's got a ton of people who have no hope. We, of all people, have experienced your forgiveness and love, and we know that your kingdom is awesome. We want to see a change in this world. I pray all of these things in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Amen. You guys can sit down.